Let me tell you a story, podcast number 107. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind it is a truth how long it was. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Our guest today is Mary DeMuth. She's the author of more than 35 books, fiction and nonfiction, and mostly nonfiction, I believe. And she even has a cookbook. We featured an excerpt from one of her books on our podcast, oh my, two or three years ago. And that was from, I believe it was The Day I Met Jesus. And we'll talk later about her most recent release, The Seven Deadly Friendships. Mary is also a podcaster and artist. I love her artwork. A blogger and a sought-after international speaker. Through Jesus' healing, she has overcome a difficult past to become an authentic example of what it means to live a brand new story. Thanks for joining us, Mary. We're honored you took time out of your busy schedule to be with us. I'd like to begin with that last line of the intro. Through Jesus' healing, you've overcome a difficult past to live a brand new story. Restory is the umbrella that you use often to speak and write under. Um, in a nutshell, what is Restory? Right. So for a long time, my tagline had to do with living uncaged. And I thought that that was a really nice metaphor of being set free out of a cage. But then as I continued down my healing journey, I realized that there was a so what to my story that not only did I have this hard story and I had been uncaged, but now I felt like God was calling me to help other people be set free. And so that's where Restory came along, this idea of I had a story, but God has restoried and restored it, and um, now I can be kind of a midwife to help other people kind of unlock their stories and see the gold in the midst of the pain and be able to just be set free from, you know, whatever it is that they've gone through. Now, I also don't think that we're completely set free on this earth. Like, I'm not there yet. I still am in the process of healing, but I'm better than I was before, And um, I'm still on that journey, and I love to shepherd other people along that journey. Very cool. So would you say that emotional healing is a theme in most of your writing? Uh, Yeah, good question. (laughs) Definitely. That's probably the biggest theme in all of my writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I'm always talking about life transformation and and um, moving beyond the, the trauma that we've experienced. Again, trauma is complex. It's not something really simple and easy to get over. So I don't want to just say, well, you know, say this happy prayer and everything's going to be easy. It's not. But, um, but you can always be on the journey toward uh, greater health. For several years, you hosted the ReStory podcast, but now you have the Pray Every Day podcast. Why the switch? <laughs> yeah, great question. So I um, did the Restory show for about five, I believe it was five seasons, over 100 episodes. And I was able to personally vet almost all 100 of those people because I knew them. 
And I was just getting to the point where uh, I couldn't personally vet each, you know, next person coming on the show. So they may not understand my heart or the desire that this is not about promotion, but about telling a story. And I was running into some interviews where that's what it had become. And so I, all the kind of joy fled from me about it. And uh, it would just take me simply too much time in my busy life to vet all those stories. And I don't have an assistant or anything like that. So I felt like it had a good run. And then um, I had a book released last December called Jesus Every Day, where I pray. It's a 365-day devotional through the whole book of the Bible from, or the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in order. And uh, in other words, I have scriptures from every book of the Bible. And each scripture is listed, and then I pray for you. It's kind of like the opposite of Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling is a devotional where Jesus says stuff to you. Pray, uh, Jesus Every Day is when you say stuff to Jesus, and I model prayer. And uh, my mastermind group said, well, why don't you just do this in reality? Like, why don't you pray for people every single day on a podcast? And I said, no. <laughs> it's like, that's so much work. Uh, but I prayed, I prayed about it, and it really made a lot of sense. Um, and so that's been going on since February. And basically, the format of that is real short. It's every single day, 365 days a year or 66 on a leap year. And uh, I say a scripture, and then I pray for five minutes or so. And uh, we've gone through some blocks of scripture, like we've gone through the book of James or Psalm 119 or the Sermon on the Mount. And right now we're going through all the scriptures that were found in the seven deadly friendships. After that, we'll go through some of the Luke um, Christmas narratives to get ready for the Advent season. And then after that, we'll start another book of the Bible uh, in January. So we'll just go through it verse by verse, and I'll be praying through every verse. And that, it's just been a great thing. We're over. We're in 36 countries now, and uh, we're, people are getting prayed for all over the world. So some verses must be a bit of a challenge to pray. <laughs> yeah, I was finding that when I, I, we went through the book of Philippians, and you find such common themes. And so one of the things I started doing was batching those together. Um, instead of just reading one verse, I might read four that were of the same theme because I was finding myself praying the same thing over and over for four days instead of batching them together and go, okay, well, here's a segment of scripture and I'll, I'll read that and pray about that and then go to the next segment, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, I love the prayers that you include in your newsletter that you send out. That's what, I don't know, monthly maybe or Twice a month? Yeah, and that's actually a really cool story because it was those prayers at the end of my newsletters, I say, mind if I pray for you, and then I pray for my, my readers, and those were the, that was the impetus to write the book Jesus Every Day. My readers just kept asking for more and kept saying, would you please write a book about this? And finally, I convinced a publisher that this was a good idea, and so then that, that got published through Harvest House last year. Nice. Well, along with writing... Um, you, you have quite a collection of artwork. Your artwork is aptly described as vibrant watercolors married to redemptive words. So is that an artistic um, approach you've had since childhood, or did that come through time? Yeah, I've always been doing um, drawing and painting and, and lettering and things like that. So I, I, again, this is another one of those things I didn't try to have a, an Etsy shop with the restory stuff on there. But um, for the past five years or so for Lent, I've been doing a piece of artwork a day for those 40 days. 
And again, people just said, hey, I really like that. I want to buy it. And so I thought, well, okay, they're asking for it. So I'll let, I'll, I'll sell it. And so it's been kind of fun to kind of humbling, really. I, I don't consider myself a great artist, but I sure enjoy doing it. And it brings life to me. So it's an extra special thing to know that it also brings life to other people, which is super cool. Yes. So where can listeners find your work, which I know includes prints and um, greeting cards, anything else? Yes. So they would go to etsy.com forward slash restoryarts with an S at the end. Your Geneva Writers Intensive sounds interesting. And as I understand it, it's an opportunity for you to mentor a handful of writers in a unique locale. Um, I think that's what it is, is it? And how did you get started with, with that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting story about the importance of the internet. <laughs> so uh, someone I didn't know was uh, working at a YWAM base in Geneva, and she was running a um, writer's program there and found me on the World Wide Web and uh, asked me to come a couple of years ago. So I did a one-week intensive there, and that began a spark of, well, I should I should do this here stateside. So I also have two intensives here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in February and July, and then once a year in Geneva. And so this next one is at the end of October of 20, um, what is this, 2018? Yes, that's right, right? This is 2018. <laughs> like, what year is this? Uh, yeah. Um, and it's exciting because uh, right before the intensive, we're going to do a, a restory conference at a little church outside of Geneva. So I'll be teaching at a conference and then I will be doing that intensive. It's usually about 10 to 15 writers, very intimate. And um, I take them through the whole process of writing and publishing a book. So from, from knowing your heart to the idea to how do you physically write a book to editing to formatting to all of, you know, getting it published, publishing it yourself if you want to publish it yourself how to launch it, how to do PR, how to do media, how to do the web, how to do all this stuff, social media, um, branding, marketing, everything that you'd ever want to know about creating and producing and promoting a book is within those five days. Wow. Wow, that's great. Um, the, nice, the nice thing about Geneva is it's super inexpensive for people. If they have airline miles, the cost for the week is, um, I think it's 350 Swiss francs, which correlates one-on-one -on -one to the dollar. So for that $350, you get um, food, lodging, and teaching. And so if you can come up with the airfare on your own, you know, like if you have miles, it would be so, so, so inexpensive. Plus, you would be in Geneva, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's a pretty amazing opportunity. Yes, it's, it's pretty cool. A lot of people come from the States because it's cheaper than my intensive stateside. Oh, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the cover with the popsicles um, goes to the book, The Seven Deadly Friendships. So both the cover and the title are rather intriguing. So a um, couple questions. I, I noticed you didn't call it The Seven Deadly Friends. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then we would have had like homicidal pictures on the front of the book. And you know, I don't think people would relate to that very well. Of course, this is related to the seven deadly sins. That's the, why the, the book is titled that out of Proverbs 6. And um, I, it was just fascinating to me about how there is a correlation with these deadly sins and the types of people that we encountered that are toxic. 
And uh, I have had my own experience where um, several, I've encountered all seven deadly friendships, friends. And uh, it's been interesting to kind of work through that and also to learn from it and then be able to translate that learning toward other people who may experience that as well. You know, if you're from Texas, you should have a Southern accent, you know. Yeah, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a transplant. <laughs> I don't have a Southern accent. Good, good uh, perspective there. Good job. <laughs> oh, we're disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I could try, but I'm really bad at it. <laughs> I could say y'all and fixin' to, but that would be about it. If you're ready, this would be a great time for you okay. to read. All right, this is the first chapter, the introductory chapter, and it's entitled, what, Why You Need This Book. When I look back over my life, I recount it in stories, and those stories always involve relational snapshots. I've had the privilege of encountering some amazing friends over the years. They outweigh the more difficult relationships I've walked through, thankfully. But it's in the sting of pain and the aftermath of those broken circles that I reel. I rethink, I regrieve, I revisit. This past year has had its fill of devolving friendships, and I find myself introspecting to obsession, wondering how I could have prevented so much pain. That journey informs every fiber of this book. As I've looked back, studied scripture, prayed, and sought counsel, the Lord has graciously uncovered patterns, types of friends I've pursued who have not been good for me. And in that discovery, I realized you might appreciate those revelations too. I didn't create these categories, nor did I discern them over the years. It's taken decades for me to come to this place of settled aha. I pray I can prevent your foray into destructive relationships through the pages of this book. You may be familiar with the seven deadly sins. In the fourth century, a monk named Evagrius Ponticus created a list of eight. Later in AD 590, Pope Gregory combined a few, added envy, and the list stuck even to our modern day. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Although a solidly historical list, I wanted to explore the biblical list of sins found in Proverbs 6, 16-19, which says, These are the six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. These seven traits correspond to the seven deadly friendships we sometimes find ourselves entangled in. One, haughty eyes refers to our narcissistic friends. Two, a lying tongue points to our unreliable friends. Three, hands that kill the innocent embodies our predatory friends. Four, a heart that plots evil correlates to our con man or con woman friends. Five, feet that race to do wrong are our tempter friends. Six, a false witness corresponds to our faker friends. Seven, a person who sows discord resembles our dramatic friends. Chances are you've encountered one of these deadly friends in your life, which is why you've picked up this book. You, like me, have wrestled with why you allowed someone like that into your life, or you don't have enough editorial distance and you continually blame yourself for someone else's bad behavior. You may be living in the land of if only. If only my narcissistic friend would take the focus off himself for a moment or allow me to share my pain so I could feel the joy of being loved by a narcissist. Of course, this is an impossibility, but we still seem to think a narcissist can love us. If only my unreliable friend could be depended upon when my life breaks. 
If only my predator friend could empathize, seeing things from my perspective so I could prove I can befriend anyone, even those who seem beyond rehabilitation. If only my con man friend would stop to see me as a person, not as a commodity to steal from. If only my tempter friend could love me for who I am, accepting my desire to stay close to Jesus despite the heartache, but he only accepts me when I join his rebellion. If only my faker friend would finally be real and let me into her life, but she can't seem to do that, enslaved to her addiction to situational ethics. If only my dramatic friend could stop seeing himself as the center of the world long enough to acknowledge my needs and fears. The problem with the land of if-only is rarely do we migrate to the future. Seldom do we reach the relational nirvana we long for. We may spend years in friendship reformation projects, bending over backward in the hopes of seeing new light, but instead we stumble in darkness. Why? Because of the simple truth we know, but we forget. We cannot change people. We can only change ourselves with God's beautiful help. Before I go further, let me say that we can also be these types of friends. So I'm not writing this with the assumption that every person who reads this book is innocent and every person out there is deadly. We are all an amalgamation of mess. Like you, I've experienced a number of broken friendships over the years, and often these painful breakups have harmed me, sucked dry my resolve to involve myself in other people's lives, and pushed me closer to cynicism, particularly when I realized I tended to chase these unsafe people. The pattern, in retrospect, is stunning, but I've also been some of these friends. I've had to be the one to apologize, to look at my own life, and to see where I've been toxic to someone else. What if we could discover together our own faulty patterns, the why behind our pursuit of the unsafe? What if we could discern who might be predatory? What if we could look honestly at our relationships and figure out which ones deeply bless us and which ones drain us? How can we discern our own relational stew to discover what ingredients poisoned it and why? I hope to answer these questions to illuminate the whys behind problematic friendships while also offering a way to walk through and heal from them. Some will heal and be reconciled. Some will gradually die a mutually desired death, and some will disintegrate. And through it all, we always have the opportunity to grow spiritually because relational discord isn't always about our hurt. It's about our journey towards spiritual health. But there are times we have to sever. We have to learn from past relationships so we can move forward with the new ones God has for us. Yet many of us stay entrenched in broken friendships for years and years because we can't see our patterns. We are terrified of change, worried about hurting someone else's feelings, or somehow feel we deserve harsh treatment. We worship the status quo. Yet growth comes in endings. Quote, when we fail to end things well, we are destined to repeat the mistakes that keep us from moving on. We choose the same kind of dysfunctional person or demoralizing job again, author Henry Cloud writes, not learning our lessons and proactively dealing with them. We make the same business or personal mistakes over and over. Learning how to do an ending well and how to metabolize the experience allows us to move beyond patterns of behavior that may have tripped us up in the past. We do not have to keep repeating the same patterns, end of quote. But so many of us do. We choose deadly friendships with a clinging tenacity, hoping beyond hope that this time will be different, except it never is. These deep friendships wound us. It's a universal truth. David experienced it too, often in the form of long-term betrayal. He said, this isn't the neighborhood bully mocking me. I could take that. This isn't a foreign devil spitting invective. I could tune that out. It's you. We grew up together, you, my best friend, those long hours of leisure as we walked arm in arm, God, a third party to our conversation. 
Psalm 55, 12 through 14 in the message. Can you sense the agony in David's cadence, the, the sting of dismissal, the bewilderment? I've been there and I've listened to enough stories to know that you've been there too particularly when a deadly friend erupts in anger via conflict, misunderstanding, or differences in perspective. Harmony and companionship you thought were given suddenly morph overnight into discord and hostility. I still feel the whiplash of the swift U-turn some of my friendships have taken. And one haunts me nearly every day of my life, a mixture of narcissistic, unreliable, and predatory. Only now do I see this. Only now do I discern the patterns. I thought about her again, I tell my husband Patrick in the comfort of our living room. He shakes his head. Why do you do this to yourself? I shake my head too, mostly to loosen the memory of her, of the regrets and pain that remain quite alive between us. What else could I have done? You need to let it go, Mary. It's over. She's moved on. You need to too. He pats the couch, asks me to sit. I do. But I can't. I keep rehearsing what went wrong, what happened between us. We were supposed to be friends forever. I say the last words and think of the song Michael W. Smith crooned right around the time I graduated high school about friends being friends forever if they share the same Lord. Why couldn't that be true? I know Patrick wants to deliver me of this tenacious need to deconstruct every fallen relationship, but he remains blessedly silent. He reaches out and grabs my hand, and I sit there with a mind full of friendship memories that don't seem to have a proper place to live and move. They're floating untethered, no relationship to anchor them. They flash in and through me like flickering movies, bright splashes of laughter and shared motherhood, deep talks of tears of relief, bearing burdens and buying blouses, praying big kingdom prayers and recounting funny stories. But then other memories interrupt the flickering happiness, angry words and volatile misunderstandings, phone calls laced with pain and accusations of betrayal, final words and curt goodbyes. Normally I have words to describe how I feel, but in this moment I have none. What's left is undecorated grief, as long as the friendship was deep. As a society, we've come to recognize divorce as a terrible scar. We agonize with widows and widowers and the loss of a significant, compelling relationship. But seldom do we put words to the grief of a friendship gone south. Sure, we talk about it with our remaining friends, or a long-suffering spouse in my case, but we almost feel like we don't have the right to grieve what we've lost. We justify that it's no big deal and that we should get over it for crying out loud. And we do cry out loud, don't we? I asked my Facebook friends how they felt about their own deadly friendships. Two things emerged. One, I realized I was not alone in this type of grief. And two, so many struggle with this. Lana writes about the hole left behind. When it's a friend you've been very close to, it's hard for lots of reasons. There's a hole in your life that they used to fill time, conversation, laughter, all the things you used to share with that person. People are not fungible. One friend can't be replaced with another. In addition, if you've been close, you've made yourself vulnerable to that person. You've let them see the real you and the ugly parts. Even if the breakup was an unpleasant one, you now have someone out there that you trusted enough to confide in, but whom you can no longer trust to have your back. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for reading for us. Oh, yeah. Good job. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Great book. And before I forget, where can people find that book? Well, starting um, in October, they'll be able to find it anywhere books are sold, Christian bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, all those places. Okay. Like October 1st? Is that the yep. plan? Christian book distributors, all the, all the famous places. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But is there anything else you'd like to say before we go about your story? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. I would say that um, 
it is possible to get through a friendship grief, uh, a friendship breakup. And it's also really a great way to grow in Christ, as I mentioned in the book, that um, so many times we're, we're really able to point the finger outward at other people and say, well, they're bad, so you know, we have a narrative about their badness, instead of looking back in the mirror and thinking, well, what have I done to be a part of this mess? And there's a lot of really great growth that can happen as a result of that. And so you always have the opportunity to grow. In, um, in Romans, it talk, Romans 12, it talks about as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so I can do that. I can try to reconcile and do everything I can. But there comes a point where true reconciliation involves two people, and so what I'm saying is you can do everything you can, and then it stops at a certain point if the person doesn't want to reconcile, but you can always grow spiritually. That is always on you. And so instead of looking at it as a devastation and a sadness, which it is, and it is a grief, it's also an opportunity to grow. And I think, I think everybody can relate to losing a friend, uh, having mm-hmm. the hurt feeling the grief and really the guilt, thinking, what did I do? Um, was it them? Was it me? Could I have done it? What if? What if? <laughs> yes, I think a lot of us are doing that, and I do that as well, as I mentioned in the book. I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be as Christians, like you say, we're supposed to live at peace with all men. And all right. then we think, well, <laughs> this isn't peaceful, and like you just <laughs> yeah. have that struggle. So I think that's um, all of our questions for today. I appreciate you sharing your story on Let Me Tell You a Story. Yes. And yeah. Steve has um, contact information to share. I know yeah. you have a website, marydemuth.com. That's M-A-R-Y-D-E-M-U-T-H.com. You have a Facebook page, an Amazon author page. Where else can listeners connect with you, your books, your blog, your prayer podcast, working they get your stuff? Yeah, so if they want to listen to the to the Pray Every Day show um, every single day this year and be prayed for, if you feel alone and you need some prayer, it's prayeveryday.show. That's prayeveryday.show, S-H-O-W. And then also, if you're in a difficult relationship right now, you can go to the number 7, deadlyfriendships.com. So not S-E-V, but the number 7, deadlyfriendships.com. And there is a quiz that you can take based on your difficult relationship to find out if you're in one of those seven deadly friendships. So again, that's the number seven, deadlyfriendships.com. Oh, Becky, we better not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and don't do it for each other. That'd be bad. <laughs> that would be like 44 years too late. <laughs> hey, that was my line. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for yes. um, giving up your of your time. I know you're a busy lady. And it was so fun to see you face to face and to have you join us on the podcast. Yeah, work on that accent, though. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, y'all. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckylyles.com or by searching for her books online.
Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carey Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.